everyone. We're at Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. My name is Jeannie Vitoni, and I'm here with colleagues and friends, Wendy Conquest and Tim Stein. And today we're talking, this is part four of our shame series. We're talking this time about couples dynamics and couples work and shame. So put that all together because before we've done a part on shame, Shame with partners, betrayed partners, shame with addicts. And then today we're bringing it all together for couples. How'd I do guys? <laughs> Great. Perfect. Awesome. So when you think of shame in couples, what do you guys think of? Well, there's a number of dynamics that started um, occurring for me. And um, I'm humbled when a couple comes in and says, you know, you're the only one that knows about this. You're the only one that we can talk to about this as a therapist. And so um, I assume, right, that's because of the shameful nature of sex addiction and either uh, being a sex addict and or um, being a, a partner, being with a sex addict. Um, and so one of the dynamics that comes up pretty quick is um, we don't have anyone to talk to about this. Um, so I think that's one way that it manifests. What, what do you think? What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I think it shows up in, in the not being able to, to talk to other people about it. I also think it shows up a little bit in the, the dynamic of, you know, your, your relationship is often the, the closest, most intimate relationship you have in your life. And so it's so easy to feel like shame bounces around. Like, I feel like anything that my partner says to me is so wounding that it it feels like it hits that shame core immediately. And whether that is coming from the partner to the addict or from the addict to the partner, that, mm -hmm. that, that sense of, I often hear it, hear it said, you're shaming me. Yeah. When when we talk about shame, you know, we we sometimes dis, um, distinguish between shame and guilt. And shame is I'm a bad person, right? I'm worthless. I'm a bad person. Um, and so I sometimes wonder if um, the partner sometimes will take on because I'm with an addict or because quote unquote I've chosen an addict. I'm I, I'm just bad. Um, yeah. so, um, and I know that many, many partners will say, no, I know this isn't about me. I know, uh, this, this addiction is about him and his family and, and his dynamic. Um, it has nothing to do with me. Um, and I, 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 I get curious when, um, it's, it's said in such a vehement, uh, way. Um, and, and it may very well be that those partners do. And, and I think that's, that's, that's healthy ego strength to come in and say, no, this isn't really not about me. I didn't cause this. I didn't, um, that this is separate from me. And yet you're, when you're in relationship, um, I think at some point you say, boy, I, I you know, how did we get here? How did I get here? How did we get here? I think you there's know, also, Wendy, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yes. when you started, when we started here today, I was, you know, a couple comes in, this is the first time they've told anyone. I was really thinking about where do couples 
get mutual support as a coupled unit <laughs> instead yeah. of addict going to addicts groups and partner going to partner groups, but couples coming together and sharing with other couples mm-hmm. and, and having that kind of support. And I, I do know Recovering Couples Anonymous, for example, um, but that would make sense that there are very few places because of shame that the two of them can come together and engage with others. Mm-hmm. And, and a therapy is a very safe space to do that um, because of the societal shame that they're experiencing and fear of judgment and such. So that's really powerful, them as a couple unit. Well, in Recovering Couples Anonymous, so that's off of the 12-step model, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous was the original uh, AA. And in Recovering Couples Anonymous, a lot of times you get couples that are recovering from all kinds of different addictions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that are recovering from sex addiction don't feel comfortable going even to those meetings as they feel so on uh, on the outside and also if a partner is really early in their own healing the the recovering couples um process asks the couple to look at what was the dynamic that they were embracing which asks the addict which the addict's very used to of hey here's my partner here's what i'm owning but it also asks the partner hey what was going on within the coupleship that was on your side that was happening as a part of this coupleship and partners really early in their own healing often hear that as blaming or being asked to take responsibility for the at for the addiction mm-hmm. and they struggle with that willingness to or ability to step into some accountability because they hear it as blame yeah. well and i want to i want to mm-hmm. point out that uh I, you know sometimes it's not struggling to see their part it's it's not theirs it's it's not that it's a struggle to see it. It's not theirs. They did not cause the addiction. They they cannot control the addiction. The addiction was brought into the relationship by the other partner. And so, yeah, there's there's a piece that of I'm always responsible for my own behavior 100% of the time, no matter where I am. That's not what we're talking about with betrayal, trauma, and addiction. So that's really good information that for some folks... RCA is maybe not a good referral, but we would want folks to check it out and see if it's right for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it, and it is interesting. I for years I've thought about having a group, uh, bringing in couples, a couples group, mm-hmm. and um, something has has me hesitate, and I think I have to do some reflection on that on why you know why haven't I ever taken that extra step to say okay let's let's have three or four couples come together and be able to talk to each other. So I'd be curious um, if that would trigger each partner's trauma. And if we're talking about mitigating shame, um, I, I, you know, so, so that's why we want addicts to go to 12 step meetings and is, is to really get um, to work with their shame, to be able to um, become more, cognizant and mindful of what they've done and the harm they've created and to be able to uh, keep the addiction in check and then to attune to the partner's needs um and so i don't you know would couples coming together help mitigate their shame do you think it it might but you know i also want to take that a step further i mean what comes to mind for me is like a mago therapy 
and amalgam therapy, which is, you know, the the partners that we choose can help us to resolve our issues and we can support them in resolving their issues. And so we often talk about, especially early in recovery appropriately, how can the addict support and help the partner in their healing process? But when we're talking about couples in this, I think the opposite is equally true. If the partner is choosing to stay and they're doing their own healing work, how can they be supportive? It's not their responsibility, but how can they be supportive and help the addict in their own healing process as they're figuring out, or, or hopefully they're sober, but they're they're moving along in recovery and healing that own that that shame core that they carry of their own as well. And I think that uh, couples getting together can be very powerful in helping that. But I also think it depends on where the couple's at. You know, if yeah. if we've got couples who are still spinning an addiction, an addict who's, in, who's still actively in denial uh, or uh, intentionally or unintentionally going into gaslighting, if there's a partner who's still so traumatically reactive to any imperfection um, that, that that's coming out from their partner or from an addict, um, I, I think that that couple's work is going to be very, very difficult if they're further along where there's a little bit more grounding, a little bit more tolerance and resilience with that process, I, I think that having other couples who are in recovery that you can sort of talk about your experiences, hear their experience, what worked for us, what worked for them, what do we want to incorporate, what doesn't fit for us. I, I think that that can be a hugely helpful and beneficial process. Okay, I, I'm a little confused because I feel like we're talking about couples therapy but not necessarily how shame shows up mm. in couples work. And so, because, I don't know, part of me is hearing a bit of blame to partners and um, and, I, and I need to reflect on that piece, but we're talking about shame. Well, I don't, I don't think it's the, I don't, I don't think we're blaming partners. I, I think it's this dynamic where um when a partner is is has found out and she's in shock and he or she is in shock and um trying to understand how what the heck is going on and um trying to figure out what this is and how to deal with it that there is this uh rage that comes up that um there is blaming and shaming around what happened um, sometimes quite graphic. Um, and so uh, I think a part of that, I, I completely understand this reaction. I believe it's a biological reaction, um, based on Peter Levine's work. Um, however, we're, we're saying when this comes up in, so then she is saying things that, uh, feed into his shame and then he either attacks or withdraws and I'm curious like to talk about, well, to name that, right, for people that this really happens. This is, this is, uh, we see this a lot. Um, and then I don't know if this is contrary to what you were saying, Jeannie, is what do they do? How do they work with those, uh, those, di that dynamic and, and the shaming that's happening? You know, I find myself wanting to, to, to sort of just clarify that within a coupleship, what's the difference between a shaming statement and a statement that's expressing my anger, frustration, or setting a boundary? 
That's and, what I was thinking of. I was like, yeah. how okay. to express anger and pain and and rage and confusion and all those mm. things without whether uh, obviously shaming or the addict receiving it as shameful. Yeah. Okay. Because there's an interpretation because the same thing happened there. Yeah. No. There, and and there's I think like that, that on both sides, whether it's the addict or the partner. There's so much importance in that they have done some of their work that they can have their boundaries in place and they can tolerate hearing their partner say, I'm angry with you, or I don't like the choice you've made, or your 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 actions or your behaviors have really impacted me and I'm feeling it. Um, I've I've sat with many, many people, addicts and partners, that when those statements that are really statements of anger, I'm pissed off, how could you do this? I'm never going to, I'm not going to let you do this again. If it happens again, I'm going to ask you to move out or I'm going to move out or you're going to sleep in another room or, you know, those, those statements of anger and pain and, 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 and boundaries are totally appropriate. And people will hear those as they're shaming me, but I'm going to say that those are very different statements than statements that are along the lines of you are a disgusting human being. Mm -hmm. You are worthless you didn't deserve to be born. I mean, and any of the stuff that goes into you as a human being are not okay. You are less than the rest of humanity because of who you are and what you've done. Mm -hmm. That's a very, that's a shaming statement, which is very different than mm -hmm. I'm angry. And when we're in the middle of a trauma reaction, whether that's the addict feeling their own trauma that's coming up and they're reacting, or whether that's the partner with their betrayal trauma or their past trauma that's coming up, those can blur together. And we're not always perfect at expressing our anger without expressing a shaming statement as well. So we try to give people tolerance, but there's a difference between those two. Mm -hmm. And and in coupleships, sometimes I, I see couples where, or one side of the couple where any expression of anger is interpreted as shaming. And I don't think that that's true. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And I think those are very good examples, Tim, of the difference between expressing anger versus shaming statements about worth and worthiness in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about how some folks and a lot of addicts have shame cores, you know, they, which means they, they tend to move into shame easily. Um, that's been their ex experience often. So when we say shame court, it's what we mean. And when a, I often see this with partners, when the partners are uh, initiating a difficult topic or expressing a concern or a complaint, that often the addict will go into a collapse into the shame mm -hmm. because they've interpreted the shame or they've taken it and it's really activated their shame core. And then they're really down in the depths of the shame and they can no longer hear the complaint or the concern, thus abandoning the partner who put forth the issue. And so when we look at couples work, this dynamic of shame collapse and the negative impact for both individuals, that's a tricky, tricky dynamic we need to prepare for. And I, I see it so often, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I know. I like what you're saying, Jeannie. Um, and just for our listeners, uh, we have done an, an episode on mindfulness. And so um, I, I, I think that this is a, a piece that factors into what we're talking about 
is that um, it, it, how can couples that are in recovery for sex addiction uh, start incorporating more tools so that they can sit with uh, an uncomfortable statement, um, that there's enough space in between um, what couples are saying. So I, I find that when um, when things go awry with couples, they, they start talking faster, their, their uh, volume goes up, you know, everything intensifies and um, they can't hear each other anymore. And then a lot of uh, uh, hurtful uh, feelings come up. Mm -hmm. um, so this piece of, um, I consistently ask my couples, can you just slow down your communication? Can you even write out in advance what you wanna say about what happened? Mm -hmm. um, and then what, what effect do you wanna have? Because, mm -hmm. Sometimes I've heard from partners, you know, if I, it maybe if I do come down on the addict that, that then finally they'll hear what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And, um, I consistently say, I don't think that's going to work. You could try that. I don't think that's going to work. Mm -hmm. Um, the more violent we are, the more aggressive we are, usually the less that other person is going to be able to hear us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we're working on the mindfulness piece, you know, slowing down so that both, I'm thinking of both, of shaming statements aren't made or it will decrease the amount of shaming statements, as well as the interpretation of a shaming statement being made would also slow down if we have our wits about ourselves better yeah. and we're not so much in a dysregulated state. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to Darren Ford's episode with us about mindfulness as well. And as we do the work individually to heal our shame, and so, and the, and the byproduct is that, is that we usually have more effective boundaries around what we take in that other people are saying to us. And as I, as those boundaries develop, then if my partner drops into a place where something shaming is coming out of their mouth. And I have the ability to not take that on, but I can hear their pain and I can hear their anger and I can hear their fear or their shame or whatever's going on. The byproduct of that is that I give them space to be human, which actually allows us as a couple to move closer together and heal as a coupleship as I develop those boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that boundary work is a byproduct of individually working on and addressing our shame. So our individual shame work can contribute to the healing of the coupleship's shame and the dynamic that goes on there. Mm -hmm. you're, ta you're talking, Tim, about the boundaries. So being able to, like you said, hear the pain without the shaming statement or interpretation I'm also, you know, the inner dialogue we each have and our the shame statements we might say to ourselves. Yeah. Especially when one is not feeling comfortable with the decisions they've made in their life. I'm nothing. I'm I'm fat. I'm terrible. I'm disgusting. I shouldn't. You know, those negative self-talk thoughts that are happening for them, which are really pushing them down. Yeah. Um, it's hard to have boundaries within our own mind, but 
back to mindfulness work, right? That is part of slow it down, separate from it. That's a thought, but it's not your truth. You know, and I, I just want to say um, with what you said, Jeannie, you know, I think, again, a lot of people will say, um, oh, I don't have those thoughts. I don't think that way about myself at all. Um, and so um, a lot of times we have deep, deep rooted um, belief systems that we can't face. And, um, and so a lot of times the, the, the compensation of those, uh, manifests. So I have to get curious, um, every perfectionist that I've met, um, if I really get to really, really get to know that person, there's this piece of, you know, there's, I just have to keep trying yeah. because at a core level, I just don't think I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really encourage people to journal, uh, or, or how, you know, um, the, to say, Hey, it's a really good thing to just be aware of how I do see myself sometimes mm-hmm. it's not going to destroy you to say, wow. Yeah. There are some times where I believe I'm worthless. Uh, wow. Where did that come from? How did I get there? How does it manifest? How do I try to compensate for it? So it's a self-knowledge that I think really um, mitigates against shame. And also, if you're hearing those messages that your partner's willing to share with you, that you're willing to have compassion for them and what their experience is to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. We can't, we can't, we can't heal their wounds but we can certainly support them and be uh you know a a a a compassionate ear as they're trying to find their way through their own shame and pain well and i think there's instead of trying to fix them yeah um so when i think it's really hard when uh, uh when you're in a relationship and one person says you know there are times that i feel uh that i'm just no good and and that can be very uncomfortable for the for the other person yeah. and they might try to say oh no you know let me tell you all the ways that you really are and that's not helpful at that particular time this this um um going into the pain with the other person yeah really and sitting there with them and saying wow that must really hurt yeah you know what you're talking about here is an important thing for all relationships yeah we often talk about the relationships that have addiction and betrayal, but sharing that and being that vulnerable is good for all relationships and the examples you use there, Wendy. So just, yeah. I thank you for that because it keeps um, some people who might be listening or like, okay, that's not me, but this is a the skill for all folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shame does not selective in this way. No. Yeah. And I, and I want to say it's not therapizing the other person. So I hear that a lot when um, when I'll make certain suggestions on how to communicate differently. Um, and that could be an addict to a partner or a partner to an addict. And um, they'll say, hey, don't therapize me. Okay, stop playing therapist. And, and, you know, it's therapy. The skills that we learn in therapy is to generalize in life. Mm-hmm. It's not to have a one up on, pers- on a person. It's it's skill building, and so it all it's always painful to me when someone comes back and they say, "Yeah, they said, you know, you're not my therapist." And it's like, well, 
you know, let's just check the tone you were using. Let's, did you feel like you were trying to teach or trying to sit in, in a therapist's role? Um, no, I was really trying to be there with him or her. Okay, well, maybe we need to have a um, more of a discussion around this. And it could be when someone's in a defensive posture like that, that their shame is being accessed, even though this person's coming with a good skill set. Yeah. Mm. to have that conversation that the other person's like ah too much too wounded too close to me and mm -hmm. so their shame acts up and then they protect and get defensive yeah. you know that yeah so well i know today was sort of a short conversation about couples and shame but um a very important one and we want to thank all of our listeners who are here with us today and so if you are enjoying our podcast please make sure to do all the likes and sharing on all the different social media platforms, because the more that we can share good information, the better it is for everyone. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye.